0: All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Um, so I typically don't do review podcasts for the quizzes, but uh, since I wasn't here last week, uh, I wanted to be sure we're on the same page with everything. So um, <clears throat> I'll try and move pretty quickly uh, through this since it is a review. Uh, if you have questions, you can always feel free <coughs> excuse me to text me on Remind. I'll be happy to, to respond there. Uh, if you're on social media and want to uh, go there, you know, Twitter, chhsgov_civics underscore civics, uh, or kdaniels gov Either of those, I'll respond to questions as well and email. Uh, to, and I'm here at 630 in the morning, so if you have questions, then you can come in and ask them. All right, well, let's get rolling. Uh, All right, so we're going to start off with the Declaration of Independence. Uh, So you did something with the Declaration. You actually did a couple things with the Declaration uh, last week while I was out, where you went through and you pulled some of the things uh, out of it um, and answered some questions, kind of, I guess, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, annotated the the document. Um, A couple things to remember about the Declaration. Uh, It was written by Jefferson. He did have, have help. Uh, although we give him all the credit. Um, Adams Franklin uh, was a part of it as well. Um, <clears throat> but uh, one of the, the big things, I think most people understand and get, hey, this was the document that you know, declared our, our freedom and independence from the, the British and, and kind of some people sometimes consider it a breakup letter. Uh, but where did he get his ideas from? Um, and we don't talk too much about it, but uh, one of the big ones was, was John Locke uh, and John Locke's natural rights. In fact, the whole life liberty and pursuit of happiness thing is lifted directly from um, the natural rights that john Locke wrote about which was life liberty and property uh, jefferson just changed the property to um what you call it, the uh the pursuit of happiness uh so there's that and then the ideas of equality that's in the declaration of independence uh that comes from the social contract and stuff that thomas hobbes did so it's some of those enlightened thinkers that you probably talked about way back when in world history you probably talked about him a little bit back in U.S. history. Um, and we maybe we mentioned um, what's his name, uh, or Rousseau, so when we talked about majority minority rights a little bit. But uh, just you know, be, be sure you understand that those ideas come from those people. Um, and they were writing about them long before the Declaration of Independence was. Yeah, John Locke wrote all kinds of stuff about the natural rights, and um, uh, one of the key points to remember is also that he felt not only is that the most important thing, but also the fact that the government should be protecting your natural rights. Um, And that's something that is kind of near and dear to our hearts when we we talked about the Bill of Rights. All those things that the government can't take away from you, um, that's part of the natural rights, okay? Uh, If they're going to lock you up, they have to give you all this stuff to make sure you're you're being protected, okay? Uh, Next up is some of the democracy stuff we talked about. I'm going to concentrate on the three that are in our um, standards, which is participatory democracy, pluralist, and then elite. All righty. Uh, But it's important to remember that we are a republic. And at this point, republic slash representative democracy are basically interchangeable. Okay. So we are in a representative democracy republic where uh, we elect people to make rules, laws, policies, for us and then we follow those. Um, that's kind of from the social contract, which we talked about just a minute ago, where you know we could govern ourselves, but instead we give up our right to govern ourselves and we turn it over to the government who in turn agrees to take care of us, protect us, make laws, and, and provide some of the necessities, provide those natural rights for us. So we are a representative democracy. All right. Within that you have participatory democracy, uh, pluralist and elite. Alrighty. So participatory democracy, uh, this is going to be uh, kind of almost pretty difficult to, to achieve because this is where more people would be taking part uh, in the process. Uh, and we're just too large at this point, remember, uh, to really be a true participatory democracy. Um, it, would would we want everybody to take part in politics and civics and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that would be great. Um, the problem is there's too many of us and there's no way for, for Congress it was tough enough to represent 750,000 people, 800,000 people, whatever the number is—I can't remember. Um, it, it's tough enough to, to just represent them, much less get input from every single person uh, in this country. So participatory democracy—we would like it. We would like people to take part in civics, but it's very difficult. Now, back in colonial times, it was a little bit easier. Back when uh, you know it was small towns and villages that had self-government going on, they could do participatory democracy. All right. Uh, Pluralist gets into kind of where we're at with all the different groups. All right. So we said that the groupings could be any number of things. It could be along racial lines, sex, religion, geographic, whatever, you know, whatever groups we kind of line up with. um, And we are working to get what we need uh, for our groups. And sometimes that's going through the government, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, So the pluralist democracy, that is basically the groups, the factions that are going to come out of all the different people that are out there. So because we can't do participatory, where every individual is taking part, hey, let's group up. Let's create these factions, and maybe we can get some stuff done that way. And then finally, the elite democracy, which uh, really narrows the scope down. And that just says that there's a small amount of people, you know, the the wealthy elite or the uh, intelligent elite or whatever, whatever the elite is uh, that are going to be. Uh, making decisions for us. Very limited participation for me and you, uh, or at least me. Uh, I don't fall into the elite category for sure. Okay. Uh, Next up is going to be Federalist versus Anti-Federalist. I think most people probably remember the Federalists uh, as the people who were for the the new government, for the Constitution, for a strong central government and things like that. The Anti-Federalists were against it. Okay, so the anti-federalists were the, the opposite. They were for hey, let's have the let's keep the states powerful, let's keep a small central government, and uh, things like that. And and that's where we were we were at. Okay, uh, there was something you're doing right now, and maybe you've done it, maybe you haven't yet. But the, the discussions on E class where you're comparing Fed Ten and Brutus, um, you do need to, to be sure you're taking part in that and uh, getting that done, not only for a grade but just for for the knowledge. Um, Fed 10 was written from the federal's perspective. It was written by Madison, and he was really supporting a large republic. And in Fed 10, one of the big key takeaways is the fact that he admits, hey, factions are going to happen, groups are going to happen. But the larger the republic, and this is why he said, hey, we need to have this large republic. This is why we need to have this new constitution and this new federal government. Um, it's because they will be able to control the factions that are going to happen, the groups that are going to happen. They're going to be looking to to take control. They're going to be looking for the government to do things. A strong, large republic can control them better than a small republic can. All right? Uh, and then in, in the anti federalism and Brutus one, um, it's kind of the opposite, talking about how a uh, small, decentralized republic, um, you know, <clears throat> would be better. And... Um, the the they would be more responsive to people's personal liberty versus those large central governments uh d- doesn't really get into the faction part of it too much uh but it was a concern all right so now that we have gotten um, there we're going to switch gears to the articles of confederation uh i'm going to stick to what's in our uh standards remember the articles was the the first government of the united states uh and it had several weaknesses um Two of the big ones was the fact that they could not control the military. You know, they could ask for help, and they had a small force, but at the end of the day, they, didn't, they couldn't do much. Uh, and then they couldn't tax, all right? so they, they could not tax the states. They could ask the states, hey, can you send us some money? But states didn't have to do it if they didn't want to. All right? So those, those are the two big ones. Um, the Shays' Rebellion, uh, which is something that has you've probably been getting since you were a little kid, uh, Is still around for us, our, and it's in our standards, uh, and they just showed the weaknesses uh, through the military uh, problem. When there was a rebellion up in Massachusetts by some farmers, Massachusetts asked for help. The Articles, government asked for help. No one came. Uh, all right, the Constitutional Convention. So remember, that was started to make changes to the Articles. It was not created to create a new government, but that's what they ended up doing. Uh, and so once they had scrapped the articles and had adopted the Virginia plan, then we get into some some problems and some issues. Um, the big one, the main one, the, is the Virginia plan calls for a one-house legislature that's going to be based on population. So the larger states are going to be super happy. Um, this draws the ire of the small states, and so they come up with their own plan called the New Jersey plan. Now the New Jersey plan is going to call for uh, representation based on equality, so this is where a lot of the debate comes from: is the Virginia plan side versus the New Jersey plan side. Um, and you know, we kind of snap our fingers and boom, we got the great compromise. Uh, it it took a lot of work to get to that point uh, for the, the the people that were there in that that debate. It wasn't something that just oh, this is easy. Let's just create two houses. Uh, But the Great Compromise does that. You might also see it as the Connecticut Compromise. I grew up calling it the Great Compromise, so that's what I'm always going to call it. Um, So just that's what you'll probably see it from me, but just know you could see it as as Connecticut. Uh, And this is going to combine the two plans. So we're going to have the House based on representation. So the larger you are, the more people you have in Congress or in the House, and then the Senate is equal. So there will be two people per state, always. Okay, Uh, the three-fifths compromise, this dealt with uh, the issue of slavery. Actually, the next two deal with the issue of slavery. Um, So since now we have representation being based on population, the South all of a sudden have this issue. They have a population of individuals that they really don't consider population until now that it benefits them. So the more people that you have, the more representation you're going to have. So the South looks at their slaves and like, hey, we got all these people that now count as people, and they wanted to count them in the population. The South also said, hey, for tax purposes, though, they don't count. Now, the North wanted it the opposite way. The North wanted the slave population to count for tax purposes but not for representation purposes. So both sides kind of wanted uh, it to have it both ways, and they will eventually settle on the three-fifths compromise where they'll count three-fifths of the slave population. For both representation and tax purposes, uh, the next one is the compromise on the importation of slaves. Uh, you might see it as the compromise, uh, the compromise. It is a compromise, uh, as the commerce compromise. Sometimes, uh, the bottom line here was uh, there, there, the the North wanted to tax um, imports, and <clears throat> the South, while somewhat okay with that were worried about how that would give control to the federal government over the importation of slaves. And so that was the fear. And so they eventually uh, came to an agreement. The South agreed, hey, we will will allow imports to be taxed, but uh, the federal government gave up control of the the import of the slave trade uh, until 1808, 20 years was the year okay so those are those three now the electoral college is also uh, kind of a compromise the electoral college you need to remember uh this is how we pick our president uh, most of the founding fathers were very fearful that we would pick uh people that were not very good <laughs> to be our our leadership and so the electoral college is supposed to be a spell safe where we get to go and we vote yay but we're not really voting for the the people. And so we're voting for the people to vote for the people. Um, so, I mean, you still play a role. Please don't think that I'm saying you don't play a role in picking the president. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be those Electoral College members that actually vote for the, the person. Now, today we have a lot of laws in place where um, it's going to <clears throat> basically be impossible for an elector to, to go against what the state, the population of the state wanted. However, you know, in theory, this was supposed to be, well, Hey, Georgia elected Chris Daniels. He's the worst candidate in the history of candidates. The Electoral College will rescue the people of Georgia from themselves, though, and they won't vote for Chris Daniels. They'll vote for this other candidate who is much better. They don't really do that now. All right. Uh, okay. Something we talked about today was the um, Article Five, the amendment process, and we, you know, it's it's not a it's not a huge thing to understand. But uh, remember, there's two ways that we can amend the, the Constitution or two steps to the process, I should say. First off is there has to be a proposal, and that comes from either Congress or a national convention. We've never done a national convention. We've always done Congress. And so they propose it, and then two-thirds of both houses have to vote on it, and it then goes to the state legislatures. All right. Uh, Once it gets to the state legislatures or the state convention, which we've only done once and we've never done again, um, so typically it's going to be state legislatures. They debate on it, and three-fourths of the states have to agree to it. So once again, uh, it is proposed at the national level, Congress, two-thirds of Congress has to agree to the proposal, and then it goes to the states for ratification, where it needs three-fourths of the states. Remember, that's also going to be your FRQ, which is on AP Classroom, so be sure you're taking care of that. It is open now through, I think, next Wednesday at 1145 when it closes forever. Okay. Okay. Next up is another thing we covered today, which is the separation of powers and the checks and balances. Uh, The separation of powers, this was that idea from Montesquieu um, where, remember, we said that he came from a time when one person had all the power. The king, the monarchy would make the, the law, then judge the law, enforce the law, do all those things. And he wrote about how that shouldn't be. There shouldn't be one person that has all that power and so that's where the idea of separation of powers comes from, and that's why we have three branches of government nowadays. Uh, That also leads us into the checks and balances that the the U.S. political system has, and we did a little activity. You have a sheet uh, that lists most of the checks that each branch has on the other, so be sure you take a look at that. I'm not going to try and read through all of them for you, Um, but there are several questions on the quiz that deal with the the fact that uh, you know, this is a check, this is not a check, stuff like that. Hey, this happens, what can the, the executive branch do? So be sure you're just taking a look at that um, so you you have an idea for that. Okay? And then the final thing is something we touched on very quickly because it was in our scenarios today, and that's the impeachment process. Uh, and there is a question, I think, on the if I remember correctly, on the quiz about impeachment. Uh, so just be aware of that. But um, impeachment, remember, it's a two-step process. Please, please, please don't think impeachment is being kicked out of office. Uh, instead, impeachment is where you are accused of something. So the House of Representatives will write up articles of impeachment if you've done something wrong as a president or any you know, other officials. You can be impeached for treason, bribery, and then high crimes and misdemeanors, which is the kind of the catch-all that the. Uh, the house uses so the house will drop the articles of impeachment they just need a simple majority to get those things passed they will pass them on uh finally to the senate who has the trial the senate is a little bit higher threshold and they need two-thirds of the senate to convict someone and actually kick them out of office so it's a little bit um, it's easy to be impeached but then to actually be kicked out it's pretty difficult I mean we've never had a president that's been kicked out although nixon probably would have been but he resigned before that. All right, guys, um, the only other thing is not really on our standards, but I, I I do it because it kind of fits in here when we're talking about the Constitution and doing all that kind of stuff, and that's the Bill of Rights. And this will be the final thing I talk about in this um, podcast, so we're almost done. Um, remember, there are 10 amendments, and there are five freedoms in the first one. So there's 15 total freedoms in the first 10 amendments. That's kind of weird to say. Uh, on the quiz, I think the, the big thing I cover or ask you about is the Establishment Clause versus the Free Exercise Clause. So just be sure you're familiar with that, the freedom of religion. Um, you'll have to be able to, to know that. Remember, the Establishment Clause says the government will not create a state-sponsored religion. And then Free Exercise allows you to worship how you want to uh, as long as you're not doing those illegal things. All right. Uh, also in the First Amendment is speech. So you can say what you want to. With protections from the government but there are repercussions for stuff that you say so you can't just say whatever you want to the freedom of press we talk about how important that is as a watchdog to inform us what's going on and then we, we're pretty quick about assembly and petition but those are two things as well that are in the first amendment the second amendment is the right to bear arms uh, the third amendment is the no quartering of troops the fourth amendment is no unlawful search and seizure so they cannot search you without a warrant probable cause or uh, your consent. The Fifth Amendment is kind of the rights of the accused. So if you are ever detained or if you make it to trial because you've been arrested and charged, you don't have to talk. Okay, you don't have to talk to the police. You don't have to talk at court if you don't want to. The Sixth Amendment deals with your uh, right to a fair and speedy trial. So you're guaranteed to see a judge. You're guaranteed a jury. A lawyer all those kinds of things. The seventh amendment is just on the civil civil side. So if you get sued for over twenty dollars, you can request a jury trial. The eighth amendment is no cruel and unusual punishments. And then the ninth and tenth amendment deal with citizens and states and the fact that as long as the constitution doesn't deny it, then you're going to be allowed to to do it. Okay. So as long as the Constitution doesn't specifically say you can't, then you can. So for example, for states, the Constitution specifically says, hey, states the only people that can print out money is the federal government. So states can't make their own money. They, they, there's just no way because it specifically denies it. But other stuff that's uh, not specifically denied, they can't do. All right, guys, there is that. Well, once again, if you have questions, please, as always, uh, ask them uh, via Remind, uh, via social media, the ones that I gave you earlier, or uh, you know, uh, what you call it, a uh, text, I mean, email is fine as well. Guys hope all as well, stay dry, stay warm. It's going to be cold uh, in the morning, and I'll see you in class. All right, guys, later.